0: Live from Suffolk, this is The Breakfast Show with Lizzie Swan.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. I'm sorry I'm a couple of minutes late, but I'm here and I'm delighted to be with you. This morning on The Breakfast Show, we are going to be talking about everything behaviour management and everything around that topic. Delighted to be back with you today. Call in, text in. Make it your show. Tune in and talk it out. Live
0: from Suffolk, this is the Breakfast Show with Lizzie Swan on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org. Or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. I'm absolutely delighted to be back, but I have to apologize this morning. I feel like an octopus absolutely juggling various uh, technical difficulties there. So I apologize, but I'm back and I have to stop apologizing. So I apologize that I'm apologizing. In today's show, uh, we're going to be talking about one of my favourite topics with one of my favourite people. We're going to be talking to Nikki Cunningham-Smith. If you don't already follow Nikki on Twitter, please do, because as well as being an absolute expert on the topic of behaviour management, she's just a hysterical human and an incredibly kind and generous teacher and professional. So please do follow Nikki at Oh, there's too many underscores, but at underscore Mrs C underscore S on Twitter. Um, I'll um, share some of the information around Nikki shortly. Uh, but before we go on to talking about behaviour management, because we are going to go there, um, Nikki doesn't hold back on anything. She is isn't isn't afraid to go there. She talks about rows and groups. She goes straight in. We, we you know we ha- we have that conversation we talk about some pretty controversial things Um, it's quite likely that the conversation is going to go into a two-parter but we want to hear from you too if there are any scenarios that you want us to give you some support on please do share them with us you can share them with us via tt radio you can share them with us directly via dm if you're enjoying any aspects of today's show please don't forget to hit like, because that helps other people find our show and access the support that we provide other professionals within the teaching arena as well. So, how are you? How has your week been? Many people within the teaching profession at the moment, teaching assistants, teachers, leaders, our support staff, are absolutely on their knees at the moment for a variety of reasons. Um, I'm hoping that I'm at the back end of, I'm gonna call it the worst cold I've ever had. I'm gonna go there and say, absolutely. Last week, um, it wasn't great. (laughs) But um, as teachers, we power through. Do we wear our colds like badges of honor? I don't know, but we have a really high threshold for colds, don't we? But I'm wondering if after last year, and some of us um, teaching from ho- home, whether or not our immune system has shifted slightly, and whether or not um, we are actually more immune to some of these colds, or whether or not because actually, scientifically, this it, we many of us haven't built up that immune system to colds, whether or not actually, this year, are we more affected? Are our immune systems more shattered? Because we are our immune systems are lower because our well-being is more affected because scientifically that happens. So um, I'm hearing now from some of our listeners. I do wanna know, where are you listening? Uh, I'm not gonna say I'm not jealous. We've got a listener here in listening already at school in the Seychelles. I can't even imagine what that's like, but um, I'm trying to imagine that it's quite different to my experience in Suffolk at the moment. Um, We're just getting a bit of daylight here in Suffolk. Um, So Edward's listening in the Seychelles. We're starting to get um, some questions in. Leanne, thank you so much for your bravery here in sharing a question and a scenario. This is fantastic. We are starting to get some scenarios. Um, and we will address these. If we don't address them live today, um, we will address them either directly with you, or we'll talk about them later on at the end of the show, Um, but we will come back to you. But that is one of the scenarios that we want to hear from, a defiant four-year-old who likes the word no a bit too much. Um, They like the word no, or so that'd be fantastic, Leanne, if we can get a bit more information around that scenario. So if they are reacting to the word no, And that is encouraging that behaviour or whether or not when they're hearing the word no how are they responding because that could be a child oh they're saying no too much I understand now so they're saying no too much I have to say as a parent my daughter's first word was no and um, eight years later she's still using it quite confidently so I understand so they're coming out that's something we can absolutely give you some um, ideas around Um, and if not we can signpost you to some resources So Leanne, it'd be fantastic. We can connect there, definitely. Now, before I go on too much, uh, what I want to do is uh, talk to you about Nikki. Um, Nikki Cunningham-Smith has uh, started off her career as a teaching assistant. Uh, I don't know if we've got any listeners here today who started off their career as a teaching assistant or have had the privilege um, to spend some of their career um, doing some work experience as a teaching assistant. But I have, um, as, a, as I've been a SENCO for about 12 years, and so a lot of my career has been spent working with teaching assistants. And it's the best, best time that I can spend is in the classroom working with TAs and, and high level teaching assistants and so on. Because you observe so much that you, that, that we as teachers miss and you learn so much about behavior management because you pick up on so many nuances of behavior. And Nikki started her career as a teaching assistant in an inner city school in Nottingham. And that's where she developed her absolute passion for wanting to work with children and young people with complex behavioral needs. Nikki then trained as an IT and business studies teacher And uh, as Nikki explains, actually, she really wanted to um, uh, train as a pastoral teacher. And at that point, there were no roles specified, particularly in most schools, where you could enter school as a pastoral lead or you could enter schools as a... Um, a pastoral manager, whereas now there is so, and I love this, there are so many roles that specify behaviour manager, not specifically behaviour manager, but there are roles that are specifically full-time around working with children, around their pastoral needs and so on. And then Nikki very quickly progressed throughout her career to head of house um, and went on through to working as um, she did her national award in special educational needs, which is a qualification that I've also done. So we share a lot of commonalities there as well. And she has then gone on to work as part of the senior leadership team, working through alternative provision. And she now works in outreach um, and she says that her job is to make herself unemployed. <laughs> and I love this idea I've worked with lots of people with the same role as Nikki, where they'd say, my job is literally to not be here anymore, because her role is to reduce permanent exclusions. In fact, not to reduce them, but to get rid of permanent exclusions in schools. It's to keep young people and children within mainstream education. And it's about supporting young people to create strategies for teachers and schools and those young people, so that there's better understanding within schools about how to develop strategies within early years foundation stage, within primary schools and within secondary schools, um, so that we can keep young people um, who are at risk of fixed term and permanent exclusion within mainstream. So it could be young people who need to go and spend some time outside of that mainstream setting for a period whilst um, a more appropriate setting is found for them. But it could also be some people who need some outreach work within their mainstream setting. So Nikki and I um, both have experiences where there are lots of parallels between our roles. Um, I have worked as a special educational needs coordinator and deputy head for inclusion for a very long time in a mainstream school and have accessed um, support services like um uh, both in mainstream and as a head teacher of a school for children with highly complex um, social emotional and mental health needs and we've both worked across primary and secondary um, school settings as well so we speak both of us with a lot of empathy and compassion but also a lot of exhaustion at understanding that there is such a lack of resource available due to budgetary demands, but we both speak as teachers um, who understand that, you know, we've both stood in front of classrooms of 32 children, and in some cases, I've stood in front of classrooms of much bigger than that when working in London. So we've recorded this session in advance. And the reason we've pre-recorded this session in advance is because nikki's on maternity leave and nikki's on maternity leave she has two um, beautiful babies um in um who are under three and um nikki and i have been desperately trying to, trying to arrange this and nikki is a fantastic advocate for enjoying your maternity leave and um the the difficulty when you've got a passion is that when you get an opportunity to be that soapbox Uh, stand on that soapbox and be that voice for a for a group of children and young people who often do not have that voice even when you're on maternity leave with your own children it can be very difficult not to not to take the opportunity to have that voice and Nikki is incredibly generous with her time and energy but she also appreciates the fact that she wants to be at home with her children as well. So we have taken the opportunity last night <laughs> when her babies were asleep uh, to pre-record this session. So um, you'll hear me at the start saying, I'm recording, I'm pressing record. So do do please forgive me some moments where uh, perhaps we sound a little, am- well, I sound a little amateurish, but we actually, before we press record, Um, Our small talk, Nikki and I, we we don't say, oh, so have you been anywhere nice on holiday? We get straight into talking about the matters, you know, the things that matter to us as women, the things that matter to us as professionals. Because what we realise, you know, as someone's already commented here, you know, balancing the budget to try and manage inclusion is heartbreaking. And this is absolutely correct we you know the word that nikki uses throughout this is investment you know you can make the smallest investment as a teacher and for that pupil in front of you it will make the the most significant change i was always told get credit in the bank we can as teachers make what can be the smallest investment but for that child for that parent it can make the biggest change and it's a it can be the hugest investment but what started off as being a discussion around women and behavior management it actually takes us quite a long time to talking about women and behavior management because we do a bit of a circle so we start off talking about women's issues and just and that started from talking about nikki being on maternity leave and how she was getting on so You'll find that the conversation is quite natural and organic but it does go around the houses so please stay with us because there is so many pearls of wisdom that come from nikki if you have the opportunity um, because nikki at the end of our conversation talks about her three desert island disc drive um, which is her three resources that she would take away with her to do with behavior management and that might come up in next week's show because i think this is, this is going to be a two-parter but she does, with some m- huge humility, talk about her book that she's written, Feel Free to Smile, which really isn't about being, you know, being flippant or dismissing the challenges, the immense challenges that come around behavior management. But it's about this misnomer that we don't have to smile until Christmas. It's about feel free to smile at your children in your class because for many of those children, they won't have seen a smile before they enter your classroom. And for many of those children, and I know as a parent that my children, sometimes I have to remind myself to smile at my children in the morning. And it's not because I don't love my children. It's because the chaos of my house in the morning, getting two kids dressed, getting myself dressed, getting everything ready and the cognitive load of getting four people out of the house and i'm privileged i'm privileged because we have two incomes because i have i live with a partner and because i own my house that's privilege and that's not to mention all the other ways that i'm privileged but sometimes i haven't even smiled at my kids and for many and i remind myself too and i remind them i love them But for many, many, many of the children in your class, they won't have that. And it's about be free to smile. And one of the great phrases that Nikki wants to copyright is give your children a September to remember. Because if you invest in the children in your class in September through behavior, and remember, she talks a lot about being the adult in the room. But if you give them a September to remember, And that's a Nikki Cunningham Smith phrase. If you give them that September to remember and you put that investment in, in September, they're going to know that whenever they enter Mrs. Jones's or Mr. Jones's classroom, that first of all, there's a routine in place. First of all, they're not going to mess about in your class. First of all, they know that they're going to get quality. They know that this is a lesson to look forward to. And they just know what to expect. And that legacy is going to continue around the school. But if they know that it's just going to be a class where it's going to be misery and they know that it's going to be something to dread, that's going to be something that will carry. they'll carry around and that legacy spreads so quickly. But I just love that idea from, from Nikki around a September to remember. And she's great. I mean, the woman should go into branding. There are so many phrases that came out of my conversation with Nikki. I just loved it. But September to remember is one of my favourites. Um, but there's just so much of this conversation. So... If you enjoy what you're hearing whilst Nikki's talking, please, please, please hit the heart, um, like the show. If there are any questions that are arising, please, please, please do put the questions in the chat because I'm going to come back on live at the end and I'm going to do my very best to answer your questions. What I'm also going to do is. Nikki is going to be coming back from the nursery run. Um, She'll probably kill me for sharing that, but she's going to be coming back from a crazy mad dash nursery run this morning. And I've promised her that I'm going to DM her on Twitter, all of the questions. And um, we'll prep those questions out. I am going to put her Twitter handle in as soon as I go live with her show. Before I do that, I think it's really important that we hear the news from our area and we listen to some. We'll come back and we'll listen to some news from our sponsors and then we'll get straight into my chat with Nikki Cunningham Smith. Here is the news from our area.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio news with Megan Goods.
2: This is your latest Teacher's Talk Radio News. The government has laid out plans to make offering, advertising or providing essay writing services to university and college students for financial gain illegal. The new measure will be part of the Skills and Post-16 Education Bill which hopes to transform further and technical education. The Department for Education said it hopes the criminalisation of SA Mill services will stop students from falling prey to deceptive marketing techniques from contract cheating services. The latest coronavirus figures show that 204,000 students were absent in England last week due to contracting or having close contact with the virus. This equates to one in 40 students off school in England, up from one in 80 on September the 7th. Teaching unions have called the statistics grim and fear it is the unvaccinated status of the majority of 10 to 19-year-olds that is causing the rise. That was your latest Teacher's Talk Radio News.
0: Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppy's Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses All MALCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com.
1: Okay, so thank you for listening to our news and some information from our sponsors. So as you can see, Nikki's in the chat this morning. Um, The predictable chaos of having two children under three is arguments about socks. So what I will say to you is someone who has uh, worked in pastoral leadership for almost oh, a yeah, long time, definitely, definitely longer than many of you have been teaching. In fact, I possibly could have been, yeah, let's move on. It, a lot of the strategies that I have learned, I mean, I've done um, a lot of training, postgraduate, i've done i've just finished my psychology masters which i probably shouldn't have done from a meta perspective a lot of that training doesn't work when it comes to your own children (laughs) so i could get a thousand 11 to 16 year olds to do exactly what i need to do just by staring at them or by walking into a room i can silence it but can i get my own eight-year-old to brush her teeth in the morning absolutely not so you know, the, the, there's something about that maternal bond that is incredibly challenging. So, if any of the, our listeners here today are wondering why can't, why doesn't it work on my own kids or on my sibling or on my niece or on my nephew? There's just something about families that I, I think just likes to mess with us a little bit. Okay, so let's get straight into our conversation last night um if you have any questions Nikki's listening amidst arguments about socks please 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 do because we will get back to you either at the end of this show or at the end of next week's show or via twitter um i've put Nikki's handle in the chat um you can get hold of my chat my um twitter handle at pegsuk or via tt radio and without further ado here we go oh wait i'm rec- i'm recording there we go i'm recording
4: one of the things that's been super interesting about the book and um people that have wanted to talk to me about it is the ladies chapter has got everyone has it no matter what um like they have the bits that they talk about and but the one that gives the most discussion Mm. is the ladies chapter and i think the beauty of that chapter is from a female point of view you feel seen yeah you're like like, oh my god I i feel like there was fear of admitting that you feel like there's a difference or there's like an advantage. From a male perspective, they never saw it. You're they joking. never, it never crossed some of their minds and it's really triggered thought processes. I think that is what's important. And even when I wrote it, it was like, just, it's not an excuse, but it's a thought process that you might need to to go down. What is, you know, I mean, an anecdote that I'll just to do with like the difference in males and females. When I had my daughter six months ago, I had an emergency uh, C-section, pretty intense. And um, (laughs) my husband, it happened like in the early hours of the morning and my husband left the ward to go and get something and he had to have a COVID swab to come back in. Yeah. And so I'm probably five hours out of surgery, very invasive surgery. And he comes in, he was like, oh, that swab, that one, that nurse, (gasps) so rough on the swab. I was like, target audience in your room, And literally (laughs) it was the moment- You literally had how
1: many pairs of hands inside
4: of your body? Doing washing up basically. (laughs) And it's that kind of, in that moment, I was like, our thresholds are very different, aren't they? Because, you know, I'm kind of, yeah, I might have drugs, but I think a COVID swab to me right now is-
1: A tickle of the nostril, slightly different.
4: Absolutely not even a question. And it's quite funny because it it was quite, luckily for him, I was in a good mood at the time because he could have probably ended up needing the hospital himself if I wasn't in a great place. Um, And it's that kind of, interesting how people don't maybe come out of their own sphere to see what's going on and i guess that's why you know we talk about what's going on for a woman at different parts of the of the month when they're teaching
1: yeah i think i, th- I just wonder you know as we've started this conversation we've talked already just a small talk we've talked about periods we've talked about you know what it's like on maternity leave as a teacher that feeling of trying to make the most of maternity leave
4: yeah.
1: and not worrying about rushing back and returning to school when you've been a senior leader and how it feels to return to work as a senior leader as a woman and mm. how it might feel as a man returning after 12 months yeah When you have you know expelled a human from your body and you've gone through you know you've lost brain it feels like you've lost brain cells have you lost brain cells? I feel had.
4: like I have. Oh, uh, I i mean, I'm sure there's been studies on it, but I've not got the same brain that I had in 2017. Like, sometimes I'm genuinely talking and it's like, do you know those old fashioned films where it like flash up missing scene? I can <laughs> make <laughs> sentences and I'm constructing a perfectly normal sentence. All of a sudden it gets missing scene. I'm like, whoa, where's that help <laughs> on? it's like a, my brain is now a corrupted file that can work for 90% of the time. But every now and then, if you don't get it right, it's gone. It's not working. And that that's a real, that's a real hard thing to kind of process, especially if as I said, you've gone away and you're, I'd say most female senior leaders are so on their game. No, what, well, you know, they've got to li- most senior leaders should be, but, um, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, you, you get gifted almost as maybe a sense of imposter syndrome because oh, had come to you naturally mm-hmm. is now a real thought process. And that's what I found returning stuff that I, wow, wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't even blink. I just be like, oh, it's this, it's that, you know, I started second guessing myself, even in a sense of, oh, I've been away for 10 months. Maybe it's completely different or it is completely different. Like, you know, my husband, his paternity leave was three weeks and he was like, God, so much has happened in that three weeks. I'm like, mm, yeah. Three <laughs> weeks.
1: Wow. That's really generous actually for paternity leave three
4: weeks. Well, he, uh, cause so he's in the private sector, not in teaching, but he took two weeks of paternity and then a week of holiday. Um, okay. and that kind of came off the back of the, my first daughter, funnily enough. I was in hospital for four days before I had it. Then had an yeah. emergency C-section. So we were kind of like, "Oh, we're having a planned C-section this time, so we'll have time." And it's oh. an emergency. So oh it was my just, gosh, Nikki! It was one of those things.
2: So.
1: That, but picking up on your point about imposter syndrome. I mean, after I had my first child, I I just completely lost all sense of identity. And yeah. after my second child, I mean, my second child very complicated. We spent a long time in hospital. But with both kids, I just increasingly lost all sense of confidence and identity in myself as a person. And you're absolutely right. I've never really thought about it like that. What came naturally to me, I had to really plan and think about. And you know how in lessons, you know, as a SENCO, we encourage the teaching assistant to sit with a mini whiteboard and chunk instructions for the pupil. I really need someone to like oh. sit next to me and chunk instructions because the brain fog is so oh. intense and the exhaustion and I'm having to work 50% harder just to do what previously would be automated and automatic. And also the, f- just, I would attach an emotional element to so much more than I, than I had done previously, but the brain fog more than anything else was pretty intense for me, um, coming back and the pressure I put myself under, of feeling like I had to immediately be back to how I was before, I think was, was so immense.
4: And I think what's interesting is we have this kind of concept where in society at the moment, we're really good at telling women after babies, you don't have to snap back physically. Oh, wow. But there is the conversation about how to snap back mentally and in the workplace. I don't think that's something that we're at yet. Wow. And it's so, uh, so this morning I was, um, my daughter, one daughter had to go to nursery one six months so was at home with me and I was, Feeding one whilst plaiting the other's hair. My husband had already been to work, and I actually filmed it um, just to be kind of like. I hope that if if people if if senior leaders get nothing else, or if that I I remember being a trainee teacher, and there was this um, this mom teacher that used to always shoot off at three fifteen, and I remember. The little jumped up the shite that i was at excuse me shouldn't swear in the morning this jumped up a little so-and-so that i was thinking that um oh well you know i'm here till six o'clock you yeah, yeah. know if i saw i guess how old was i at the time 25 i think 24 25 year old nikki now i'd slap her hard because <laughs> i was often waking up at eight o'clock well no half seven and i had been work for eight because I lived nearby, and my morning would be shower, sing in the shower, brush my teeth, go downstairs, leisurely walk to my class crack. Oh, that on. sounds like
1: a spa break.
4: Oh, uh, does it, like that life of getting ready for work? Yeah. Like, now there are militaries that need to see my morning <laughs> because <of precision. laughs> And you know, and so when I get into work at maybe ten to nine and I'm so glad I'm there at ten to nine and someone goes, Oh, nice to see you. Like throwaway comment. No, like, or part time you know part time. Nice of yeah. you to join us. Yeah. Oh, uh, or you know, wanna when I because I, I do work four days a week now and they're like, oh, enjoy your day off. Ooh it's gosh, that's day one of one. my biggest that's one it, of my biggest triggers. <laughs> is someone it's when easy I to be at work and not even joking. I get more hot cups of coffee, more adult conversation, more like it's easy it's not a day off. It's you a get day off. To,
1: Nikki, you get to go to the toilet with the door closed
4: oh. <laughs> and I'm not saying that no one will come
1: in and talk to you because I'm afraid that people especially for a Senko people have all they know you're trapped any
4: opportunity I'm like <laughs>
1: <laughs> but at least no one's in there actually physically inside the cubicle with
4: you yeah you can have a you get moments of mental downtime when you're Correct. at work whether it is whether it's as small as the changeover between lessons or you know walk into a duty or something like you can get physical uh, like actual moments of downtime whereas i mean and and i'm i'm very keen to not sound like it's a martyrdom because it's not as well because you know i i don't believe that anyone that is a parent Um, goes into it lightheartedly, regardless of the situation, but it's not to say that when we are there, that it isn't hard as anything. So your morning might have been 40 minutes, my morning might have been me having to get back changed because my daughter decided to wipe her nose on my, my trousers as I'm walking out the door. And mm-hmm. having to get her to nursery you by 8.30 because if I don't, she'll have missed breakfast or her having a meltdown, she doesn't want her shoes on or one and kicking off or someone having an explosion out of their nappies and then me getting into the car and feeling like the world's worst mom because I've just dumped my kids and basically ran and maybe I've cried all the way to school because yeah my hormones are mental i haven't slept last night because they were coughing and waking themselves up and we ran out of Calpol and the and the humidifier wasn't working and then i come through the door and someone goes nice to see you nice of you to be here i'm like
1: but that's exactly it. i used to work with um an amazing woman called ninka and what she used to do for me when i walked through the door is um she used to grab some wet wipes and just wipe my shoulder Oh, the the, sh- the snotty shoulder. Is that? Yeah, because it would be covered, and I and I just wouldn't see it. And um, see it, yeah. I'd be I'd be walking into briefing, and confident because I'd put my face on. And she would discreetly stand behind me and just wipe whatever it was my yeah. children had like cried down me or dribbled yeah. down me or the toothpaste, and she just discreetly wipe it off for me. And then my PA would, I don't know, pull whatever else had been dribbled down me or the wheat or something. And you know we're just trying to everything is about just trying to put a face on it but my day would start i'd have already felt like i had done a full day by the time i'd got up and got there and i was physically and mentally exhausted and just having a few minutes to collect myself and gather myself and not feel i already felt like i'd let my children down by leaving them in someone else's care get there and feel like i'd failed some failed someone by them looking at you know looking at their watch and implying that i was late even though i was Still be there before briefing. Yeah. We just need to change the climate and the culture around how we treat how we treat parents because we know this isn't unique to women. But, unfo- you know, unfortunately, human race, it, women it, are yeah. the only ones that can give. You know, you know, people with uteruses, uteri, are the only mm-hmm. ones that can give birth. And, you know, there is a real cultural shift that needs to happen here. And, you know, I just this conversation. I, I, I've not heard this before, and this is going to re- really stick with me because it resonates. We talk about what you've said, the conversation about we don't need to rush to snap back physically, but we never talk about the conversation we don't need to snap back mentally. That is so powerful, Nikki. Yeah.
4: And and this has only come from my second maternity leave. This has only come from, yeah. um You know. Uh, looking back at pictures from my first one where I was so unkind to myself about my physical appearance and I don't feel that way this time So I'm like mate you've carried two kids you're <laughs> yeah. fine you know and like taking the steps to feel better about myself but not wanting any outcomes and just going on with it and then you know really thinking about because you know I'm still doing podcasts or writing blogs or you know sometimes I turn things down I never used to turn anything down yeah but that, yeah yeah, just i'm like yeah no i i i'm happy to do this i'm happy to be part of the conversation i'm happy to be part of the thing whereas now i'm i'm very much like oh, i'll offer this to you and if you want it you can have it if you don't that is not a, a slight i'm not it used to make it could spiral on me for days if i i guess it's a level of expe- acceptance because you go from like my keep in touch days i loved my keep. in fact i i popped into my school the other day it wasn't a keeping touch day and they were laughing because so I've popped in a few times. And I was just sat in the reception and something was going off. Uh, it was, And I just was like, sat there smiling because someone had <laughs> taken my baby anyway, because that's what happens if I go to school, they'll take my baby and she's gone. I'm like, I'm sure she's fine. And I just sat there smiling. i are like, what? what? And I was like, oh, it's really nice to just be part of the, just be a part of it and, the, and there was discussion going on and I was kind of listening and I wasn't saying anything and someone looked at me and I was like looking at them they were like, you've got an opinion, haven't you? I was like, yes, I have, you're you gonna share it. I was like, do you want to know? They're like, yes. And straight away I was like, "I th- blah, blah, blah. you know, really. And I, it was like, my brain cells were excited to yeah. be a part of the conversation voluntarily rather than, and I, I honestly left on a buzz. I left mm-hmm. like I, had it was like adrenaline being back in the moment. I was like, that was the difference before I was dreading work because I didn't feel ready and I felt this guilt and I felt that and I felt this and the other. Whereas, because at the moment I'm here on my terms, That's I can feel what I enjoy about being in work, and you know, and maybe it's because my daughter was there anyway, so I didn't feel any guilt, or the other daughter was in nursery and she I know she loves it there, but because it's my second time round, I feel so differently about and maybe it's the pandemic too like you know the pandemic taught me that we're not here to please other people absolutely yeah here to make sure that our time here is you know used to great effect but the place that i need to be the happiest is my home and those within it and the place that I need to be the safest is my home and those within it. Because if that is happy and safe, I can then make the people I work with and the children I work with happy and safe because they can have all of me because all of my building blocks are in place so that I can really not drop the ball, not forget to put this somewhere, not forget to send that email or anything like that because my home is a happy and safe environment I can then, you know, I can not feel guilt about getting someone to do my ironing, because that is such a privilege, but it's something that I'm like, do you know what, if I need to do all these other things, I need to take this piece away. And I just think that we're in this position in life, some of us ladies, where we're trying to prove a lot, and I'm not sure who we're proving it to. I a lot of time.
1: I, I, absolutely right. And you're the second person I've spoken to in like the past 24 hours about, you know, no one's trying to kid themselves that the pandemic is a good thing. But if we are trying to seek something positive that's come out of that experience, it's that we are trying to keep our boundaries tight around toxicity and keeping toxic influences out of our lives and making what limited space we've got preserving that for positive influences. And also really just focusing on um, making sure that we're not worrying about pleasing other people. And really just focusing on and a lot of that, you know, comes down to social media. Um, And it's not just social media, also school gates. Yeah. Um, Thinking about doing things for like, bloody displays in classrooms your child is not going to the pupils in your classroom are not going to learn more because you've spent six hours on pinterest every night for two weeks and you've made you've got H- hessian oh, backing right. on your don't. wall
4: and this because my word, hessian don't
1: <laughs> so because like there is no evidence-informed research around hessian i know it's better to have less bright you know bright colors are going to like trigger, but as someone who's got a psychology degree and who's got all of these things, none of my psychology and none of my work on my national award in Senko was yours? Was there anything around Hessian no, and, and yours?
4: And this is the thing. So we're going to trigger a lot of
3: people with this. Sorry,
1: I, we are. And I'm going to have you, all gone, of, all you're of gone the early years. there. So I have gone there. And I don't I, know why we've gone on to Hessian, but it's a nice segue to page management.
4: There. So my, I've got a really, really good friend who, uh, that,
3: yeah.
4: is an early years teacher. And the beauty, the brilliance of our friendship and relationship is, we have these wonderful conversations from a early years key stage one, two perspective, and from a key stage three, four, five perspective, and it's it's brilliant conversations. And honestly, about in two thousand sixteen, I got married, and we were out for a lunch, and I was like, "What's with Hessian?" What's what's that around in was it going on walls in 2016? Yeah, so I remember it because it was around my wedding time. And I said to her, really throwaway comment, I went, I said, I think that the whole Hessian thing has come up because someone got married over the summer and had a a load of Hessian left over from their wedding. Because if you look back to yeah, because my sister in law had it at Bunting, they made Bunting out of Hessian, it was Hessian, that was the thing, mate. You've got it. she was like, no, no, it's this, that, and, the, and I said, right, show me the, genuine conversation was like, show me the research. I says, yeah. I can't understand it. From my personal point of view, I'm not putting up gaudy, bright stuff in my house. I want my child to go to school and be submerged in the world that they can't necessarily get at home. There's more chance of me having a really natural kind of environment at home. Like I know, I, and I was like, I get, and as as I did my SCN award as well, I was you know talking about contrasting colors and I got that. And yes, I do think some of the fluorescent stuff, yeah, bit loud, bit crazy, bit much, but I couldn't get my head around the Hessian because I was like, I personally find it, it, it reminds me of the episode of The Simpsons when they all have to wear the uniform and then it rains and it's all colored. Yes. It, it just, to me, and someone's gonna like remind me of the scarecrow again, but, on Wizard of Oz. It just it just makes me Hessian makes me sad. It makes me <laughs> itch when I look it, at the display. Yeah, I just I get to go to a lot of schools and I'm so lucky I get to go into a lot of primary schools. And you know. I, I honestly feel like secondary schools should go to primary schools to really, Absolutely. you know, walking into a primary school is like a hug, Some yes. the second you come through, it's like, a, come here, let's come here, and I'm going to teach you, like, that's what it feels. And the best displays I've seen, quite frankly, aren't Hessian. So it, it, to me, it's not that I think people shouldn't use it, I'm just still waiting for someone to prove to me. What I just have this opinion that someone just had a load of Hessian left over, put it on Pinterest, and everyone went, That looks good. I'm going to do that too. And then it's like a Chinese whispers. No, it's like an emperor's new clothes, except I'm the one going, You're naked. Yes. <laughs> and it's just that. And that's what concerns me about behavior management and
1: this kind of concept of. We're going to de-escalate children's behaviour. We're going, this is this is self-regulation in the classroom en masse. And we're going to, this is how children um learn to self-regulate through Hessian. And I'm thinking, no, this isn't a calming atmosphere. It's um a sad, itchy atmosphere yeah, for some it, children. It's on a
4: wall. Like, no, it is. So and, I, and you know this, that will only work, by the way, it, like in terms of if I go into a classroom in September and you've done your display. And then I go into your classroom in August, in July, and it's the same display. That's that's blindness. Like the, the, it's just gone into the background. So if you're not doing anything with your displays, if they're not active displays anyway, then the children aren't seeing what's on the wall. So you may as well have a blank wall. You may as well just not have anything up there. Because I'm sure I remember when I was at school, my English teacher had the same Lord of the Flies poster and and the same Royal Shakespeare Company, Romeo and Juliet poster, which I'm sure now as a teacher would just giveaways that he just threw up on the wall, but I couldn't tell you any of the information on those posters. I remember the Lord of the Flies with the goggles with flies in it and the Romeo and Juliet was some ballet shoes, but there's writing on those posters and I couldn't remember them because they were there when I had him in year seven and they were there when he left when I was in year 10.
1: It's just so, it's the same, and there's lots of research about. Uh, I think we're going off at such a tangent, but I love a tangent. I think, I think we, I think you know, you say going into a primary school is like having a big hug. I think the next time you and I enter a primary school, it might not be a hug that we're getting now that we're in the no. anti-Hessian group.
4: But I think we've been blacklisted. Actually,
1: I, uh, <laughs> I think do you know what? I'm, I'm, I just, I would love to have somebody explain to me the research around why Hessian is supporting pupils in, in any classroom environment. I'm just fascinated by it.
4: I just think as a senko, if I was doing an action plan, that isn't something that I would do an action plan, be part of their action plan. And I could see that maybe that would be, you know, for the non-neurotypical pupil, potentially. But even then I'm like, Mm,
1: And I think, and I think going back to our original point, so much time and energy goes into, first of all, researching um, these beautiful displays, um, accessing the resources for them, most of which comes out of teachers' individual pockets, because I see so much nonsense about um, school budgets and them going on these displays. Most teachers I know buy them themselves from the works or the range.
4: Who has ever given a teacher a budget for their classroom? It's nonsense. When has that ever, ever... Ever been a thing? No. I the, the closest you get for a budget for a classroom is bribing the person who's got the key to the stationery cupboard to turn it back <laughs> so you can nick all the paper. That's Double the closest you get. <laughs> Double crit <laughs> sticks. Yeah, I'm I the once before anyone gets. In. I know.
1: I once walked past and the door was open and I just took myself a couple of extra post-it <sighs> packs.
4: Is that not like the most thrilling thing? at was ended stationery cupboard. No. Like you're, you're like, if the kids did this, I'd absolutely destroy them but yeah. I never use those yeah.
1: post-it notes because I'm so frightened that I'd get found out with them but loved it and when you leave a school and the thrill of taking oh. some of the stationery with you I know that we should probably not admit to this but oh, if you look a- at my
4: desk I mean I've got <laughs> six hole punches I've never bought a hole punch in my life <laughs> <laughs> I let Jamie look I'm like why have I got so many hole punches I think I just clear my desk and I always take the hole punch well so- My previous schools, if you've got a whole punch. Yeah, I know. It's like around
1: Christmas time when the sellotape dispensers disappear. (laughs) You should always go to the people with the most kids, who are the teachers with the most kids, because they've got more presents to wrap. Yeah. Ah, looking suspicious. Anyway, before we get arrested, listen, we need to talk behaviour management because we could talk forever, but you've talked a little bit about your English teacher and their classroom, but tell us a little bit more about your own experience of school. What was your own experience of being at school? What was it like?
4: So I was that classic, um, you know, the school report, um, uh, pleasure to teach doesn't know when to shut up. Um, and, um, if they put their mind to it, you know, that's why I always laugh at school. Like when I write school reports down, am like, this child is me, never does the homework. Um, I was just. I loved school. I definitely loved going It's somewhere that made sense to me. Okay. As I get older, I question whether maybe I don't have some ADHD tendencies or stuff like that, because it's something about school and the routines really made sense to me, but I only enjoyed lessons that i got on with the teachers. And if I didn't get on with you, I wouldn't say I wasn't really disruptive. I just didn't do anything. I just didn't really get on with it, which, I mean, luckily I'm pretty sure my parents aren't going to listen to this because they probably still give me an earful now if they knew, but, um, so I learned about relationships and rapport with teachers from my own personal experiences. And you know, my, my grades very much reflected that although I passed everything, you could tell the teachers that I liked because they had A stars and A's in, and you could tell the teachers that. I didn't like and didn't, couldn't bother to do the coursework because they were my C's kind of situation. So my my schooling was very much, you know, I'd rather, I mean, I remember, I'd rather be on the, the basketball courts than in the science room, which ironically, my degree is had a, an element of science to it. Um, but I, I really enjoyed school and even um, even when I kind of left says I'd go back and help in my own primary school in like holidays. I think, I think basically I was institutionalized at a very young age and I, I the school, the, the timetabling of school, even while I'm not at work, I realize I do almost a timetabling of the day. Yeah. I mean, um, the balance of the day, but um, yeah. And, and whilst I was at school, um, a, a new lesson appeared when I was in year seven that my brothers were very jealous of. Um, and it was IT, that was the the th- and we had a computer room, and wow. we had a maths room that had Success Maker in, I don't know if anyone still uses that, but that was in 97, um, and yeah, and that was when I kind of got a love for computers and what they could do and, and learning from then, but then, um, the behaviour side kind of came from, I worked in this place called King's Camps over summer holidays. And I got this child. I was working with this child who the mom was like, I'm really sorry. Um, so-and-so hasn't taken their um, medication today. Oh gosh, I was like, that's
1: I was a great like, start oh. every, I think lots of teachers have heard
4: that. Yeah. It was like, no, oh, he's fine. Cause <laughs> it's like day four.
2: Like,
4: and I was, I guess I was 19 and so I was like, oh my God, don't worry about it. He's fine. Cue the most insane morning I've probably ever had working with children and just feeling like a complete deer in the headlights. And then his medication kicked in about half 12. And it was like this this um, button went off and it's like he powered down. I remember feeling really sad for him because yeah. um, his personality went a bit with it. And I was like, as awful as this morning has been, I kind of preferred the other version of him. And it, that really got me interested in, you know, pupil behavior and, you know, when maybe they don't behave, they're doing it because they don't want to or because they can't or because they won't. And little things like who's the medication for, is it for them or is it for them, for the, those around them and things like that. And it just, so my uh, kind of starting in teaching was actually as a teaching assistant in behavior. <laughs> So my interest has actually always been behaviour, and in a weird way, uh, IT was like the secondary um, process, if that makes sense. At the start of my career, I actually only wanted to do pastoral. I remember asking someone, can you just be a pastoral teacher? And at the time I'm like, no, you've got to do a PEC and something to be, and I I was like, and actually, I guess we've got a lot of non-teaching pastoral now. In yeah, lots I
1: know it's such a, so different, isn't it?
4: Yeah. But I, I question why you couldn't be just a pastoral teacher as such. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I got into teaching, um, as an IT and business studies teacher, but with a real, you know, hidden agenda to get into the, the behavior side of it. Um, and yeah, that's kind of like led to, I'd say i I was a head of house out of my NQT year, I was a uh, second department, then I trained, did my PG, not PG, postgraduate in the SCN awards, so Senko, and then assistant head teacher. And now I kind of work in outreach and a pupil referral unit to try and stop pupils getting permanently excluded. That's, my job is to make myself redundant, basically. I, I'm trying to stop the children of my, um, my catchment area, stop them from getting kicked out of schools. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the, and I thought it was a rapid journey, but actually it's been over a decade. So I thought it was because I've done a lot in a short space time, but actually you have done a, a long time. You have
1: done, listen, it's, a, it's an extremely rapid journey. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting because we've talked before about how much you love just being with the pupils as well. And I look back on my journey and actually. I loved. I am a languages teacher and I really loved that. But the bit that I really, really love is behavior and understanding the roots, you know, what's leading, what's underneath the behavior and advocating for those that voice is absolutely what I want to do. And like, we've talked about this before. I've done my SENCO award as soon as I could, but just understanding what's underneath it, uh, whether that's SEN or SEMH, trauma. Or what's going, you know, what's going on behind the scenes, and I just so interesting, isn't it? It really, it really is. And you know, as a parent, I really wish I didn't know it all, know all of the the, the theory, because it doesn't work with your own kids, and it's, it makes that journey really difficult.
4: That has been a learning curve for me as a parent. I I have laughed to myself whilst I've been in a shop and my toddler is tantrum on the floor going, I wrote a book on child
3: behavior.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and I'm definitely, you know, and I'm I'm desperately going through the managing meltdown scared technique going and none of it, none of it works, but it's, you know, and I try everything and I'm having to, one of the things I've had to be brave about is going, okay, I need to act, I need to access help and I need to go. Okay, this is really difficult. Because, and this, you know, my child's school saying, but you're a teacher and aren't you a specialist in this? And I'm like, yes. And now I need help. And like, no, you're doing a great job. No.
4: <laughs> and our standards are super high. It's really interesting. So I'm, I've have, I've got a half-written article for Tess that I, I can't need to finish. Um, <laughs> and it it kind of came about because. Um, I was reading about conscious parenting. Oh, God! So I, I just, I mean, it's not fully my I, I feel like everything in life should be like a buffet. Oh, I you love take, that
1: smorgasbord of take, like, take, yeah, yeah, definitely.
4: Take, take bits of stuff. I don't believe that any individual thing is the answer. That's why, I mean, I saw something say on Twitter about, um, rows and groups sitting in rows and groups oh
1: god that's easy there's never there's literally never a moment when someone's not
4: talking about rows and groups on twitter I, I said to you earlier i i don't always get involved in stuff i have an opinion but i don't often get involved in stuff these days so i can't often be bothered with the back and forth of it all because yeah. The thing with rows and groups is they both work in yeah, the correct situation. Like you can put your class into rows and then have a week where you're like, "Oh, all my classes need to do group work this week," and move your tables to groups, and you're fine. It's like I feel like it's such a big deal that I'm like, "Is it that big a deal?" Like if you like groups, work in groups. Like rows, work in rows. Work what right? What's right for you? I wouldn't expect an art teacher to work in rows, like. And I also wouldn't expect an IT teacher to be able to work in groups because once your once your class is as, is as it is as an IT teacher, that's what you've got. You're not moving it around. Um, so when I was kind of looking at conscious parenting, because I was just like ah, oh, this, my child is, I mean, ironically, in hindsight, it's because she just had a sister. That's why- I know, does. but hindsight's brilliant, isn't it? Oh, hindsight is just wonderful. At the time, like, oh, I've lost my, my my daughter's just changed. Yeah, she's just had it, her world has been shattered. Um, but I was reading up on it, and I was like, some of these concepts are interesting in terms of teaching, um, only in the sense of, and, but you could take it too far. This is what I'm saying, you take little nibbles of everything. But in the sense of when you look at um, rapport, and how you get rapport, it's a lot to do with relationship building, understanding, taking the time to listen. The problem we have as teachers is, and sometimes we only have 55 minutes or if we're a primary teacher, we have a whole day, but we haven't got the time to be derailed by the children because ultimately we have a curriculum that we need to deliver to get there, to progress them through. But it was really interesting um, kind of some of those conscious parenting like sometimes when maybe a member of staff has gone so and so has absolutely destroyed my lesson i feel like going you know what they dropped off three of their brothers and sisters to school this morning Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure they didn't have a coat on and uh their mom well actually they were arrested last night you don't need to know all of this but this is what's gone on i'm just impressed they got through the door and i'm going to be really conscious of what uh, how i'm working with them But the nature of the roles that I've had, I'm afforded the time to be conscious because I don't always have a teaching timetable. So I have the ability to, you know, figure it out. But if I'm, you know, back-to-back teaching the day, I've got a lot less time to figure it out than if I have an admin day where I can be like, today I'm gonna focus on this person, I'm gonna figure out. So I do very much understand the constraints of the timetables that are delivered to us and um i think that's what's really interesting in the sense of sometimes i think we think one size fits all without really considering there's so much more to you know someone's like, it's a zero tolerance school that's what we do that's how it works okay. okay yeah that's great but and you might say that your exclusion rates are very low but actually If i really looked into it you'd probably find that you have a alternative provision within your site that actually maybe places those children into a nurturing environment which is great but that technically means it's not zero tolerance because the rules have changed in the environment they've gone to there's nothing wrong with that but you're kind of peddling a, a notion that zero tolerance is the way forward this is my personal opinion but i'll never work again after talking to you lizzie honestly. i know I listen, <laughs> but,
1: but i wouldn't have it any other way because you're <laughs> you're being yourself and i think it's i think there are so many phrases now that are banded banded around without without many people truly understanding the magnitude of what they're saying yeah because definitely. if we took a zero tolerance attitude to staff and to teachers we wouldn't have we would we would have empty staff rooms yeah and you just we need to be live- very cautious about how we treat people within within
4: in a humane way really i think the other thing is is that whilst i believe that schools is very much about delivering topics and delivering curriculums you teach me a teacher that isn't trying to mold our next uh, you know our little humans into the next society it's such a huge responsibility and you know i know for a fact that if I my my daughter's got a killer frown. She's got a frown. I'm like, where on earth have you got that frown for? Then I catch myself in the mirror. I'm like, oh, she's she's learnt that from me. Not not because I've been angry or anything like that, but because my because fr- I can't remember anything at the moment. I'm constantly maybe frowning just to like, what why am I in this room? Like what's what's going on? So if we're kind of modeling a zero tolerance, no empathy, no chance kind of situation, how what are we? what are we producing what's going to come out of this if there's no patience no time no thoughts other than it's my way or the highway i don't know i know
1: and i I think for, for people listening because i know it will spark a big debate i think it's i think it's really important to be clear that we're not having conversations here about extreme incidents or attacks on staff or we're not talking about um weapons we're talking about pupils who are like you've described pupils who are turning up to lessons or school late in the morning pupils who are turning up as you've described in a certain way and a a teacher saying oh they've destroyed my lesson in terms of that it's about how we the language that we're using it's about how we are interacting and um a colleague of mine andy Samways, always uses the phrase from dr karen Treesman, where she says every interaction is an intervention yeah and Um, we have to consider how we how we ourselves as adults would like to be spoken to and how we want to be supported and i always think actually I remember some, an old TED teacher of mine was just imagine you've got a video camera on your shoulder at all times, or yeah. imagine that the parent is earwigging on the way that you're speaking to that child. And would you continue to speak to that child in that way? If that parent was earwigging.
4: Totally. I mean, I've had a conversation before with uh, a member of staff, I'm not going to say which school it was that to keep it all jumbled up, but I actually had to say who was the adult in that interaction yeah. because sometimes we forget that we're the adult and i was like you had about three opportunities to maybe diffuse that even just by saying i'll talk to you later um because sometimes especially if they're teenagers they don't have that skill no and, and actually we don't dedicate time in our curriculum to teach those skills really um and that's what i find because i know they're controversial thing i guess i i don't not That doesn't make sense. I don't not believe in permanent exclusions. That doesn't make any sense. I believe that that the right situation sometimes that people isn't in the right place. And that can come from needing the correct support. You know, I've been in meetings where I'm like, you know what? I think it's best you come away from this school and work with us and we get you to the right place. And I think that's the sometimes people are so focused on you're either pro this or against this and that is it and i'm like i don't i feel like i feel like behavior is a spectrum i feel like there's absolutely situations and times where you have to be like no absolutely not not acceptable we're not standing for this blah blah but there's times that you need to be able to you know work i just think it's such a spectrum and i i personally believe that there is no individual answer to everything. Everything needs to be triaged on an individual basis for you to get the real understanding and picture of a situation. So when people are like saying, you know, no rows, no groups, no no permanent exclusion, no definite exclusions, no exclusions, I'm like, it's not. It's just not that clear cut. I don't think, even when we think about the demographics of schools and where schools are, you know, uh, a school maybe in a very rural area, Mm -hmm. it would be absolutely catastrophic to permanently exclude because the next school could be, you could end up with a school refuses the next school is. Yeah, well, miles away.
1: that's my area is, is rural and what you've described is exactly what happens.
4: Yeah. So, you know, it's not the same than potentially if you're super in a city and there are 20 schools within, and actually that child probably will cycle through those schools really easily because they all talk and they all go, it's just, I just think that sometimes it's not as clear cut. I think that's why I wrote this book as well in the sense of it was a real frustration of mine about people leaving teaching. Yeah. I felt I've got some great, I know some great people who I wish they were still in teaching for the kids perspective because they were just amazing and it was such a shame. And from someone who has gone to different schools every three or four years, which I don't think is a negative thing. Some people do see it as a negative, but I personally don't. Um, some of the schools are great and some of them weren't and it's finding that right placement for me and i think that's the danger sometimes is that if we don't if we're not in a place that aligns with this, we think that it's teaching and it's it's not necessarily teaching you know i've worked in a city rural local authority county council the only thing the only uh sector i've not worked in i would like to work in just to finish it all up is the private sector haven't actually worked in the private sector but i wouldn't have a problem i'm just interested Well, that's not true i work with a school that is a, a boarding school currently so i guess I but anyway um sorry i'm rambling no you're not rambling oh, i'm, I'm loving, loving it i can listen to you all night i'm
1: gonna <laughs> get you on an audiobook tell me about you're talking about your your experience teaching tell me about your the the training that you had um as an as a in your early career when you were an early career teacher in nqt because the way that the, uh, the i'm a visiting fellow for ambition institute and the way that they've structured their training they've put behavior as the first strand that they are focusing on because the, you know the way that they their researchers and the way they've structured the program they feel that behavior is the area that early career teachers will need and understandably the most support with first. Tell us about your experience of training when you were an NQT or an early career teacher as it's now known.
4: So really interestingly, another reason I am interested in this area is because when I became, when I got onto my, uh, it was a skit that I got onto and skits are more than school centred. Uh, and I, it was brilliant. This isn't me knocking the, the situation at all. However, when they allocated the schools, um, the leader of the skit said to me, we've looked at your background and we can see that you used to be a behavior TA, so we're gonna give you the, the the school with the worst behavior. Oh, bro. <laughs> and I remember thinking at the time, well, if you can see that I've got it in my background, shouldn't you give me a school that I yeah. could learn something new in rather yeah. than go and do something that I already know. Wouldn't this be beneficial for someone to, to learn? It's a learning opportunity. Like it wasn't a learning opportunity to me because it's like, yeah, you've sure. right. done this. And I'm not there to to do a job as such. I'm there to train. So on top of that, I was like, oh, so, you know, what What training am I going to have? And they're like, oh no, you're just going to go there. And within, um. I think within two weeks, Ofsted came to this school as oh. well. And then Ofsted came to the training provider a few weeks later. Um, and it was all positive. And I'm like, yeah, really, you know, I got some positive feedback as a trainee. I remember thinking that wasn't great because everything that I've done or knew was off my own back. And I remember kind of looking at books around that time and none of them spoke to me. There was one that, well, one person in behavior that spoke to me. Um, but none of the other books really spoke to me. They didn't, they weren't going through, you know, really what to do when you're outclassed, outsmarted, or when you you, you've been told that for one of your Q standards, you need to organize a school trip. Huh? What? (laughs) This will hit loads of Q standards. I, i i'm 23 i can barely get to london on the tube on my own let alone yeah, with no 50 children and you know i even saw the other day someone on twitter being like i've got a school trip ah and it's like no one is talking about what really faces early career teachers i feel like people are talking more about um maybe as time goes on or things that are really intense but like those little things like you've embarrassed yourself you've You've, you know, you've absolutely ballsed up your observation or you've embarrassed yourself. or You've just done something daft. Like, why aren't we talking about the things that are happening? And it's because usually the answer for early career teachers is, oh, go and watch so-and-so. They're really, oh, experienced. go and watch them. And all they go and do is watch a really polished, a finished article basically,
3: yeah.
4: they're, they're seeing the pots. They're not showing the potter's wheel when it's been smushed, fallen on the floor, too much water, not enough water, didn't get to the kiln on time. You know, they're seeing it after it's been glazed and it's been fired. Well, not actually fired. That
1: but, is a beautiful metaphor, or is yeah. it an analogy? I forget what yeah. the English teachers will tell
4: me. <laughs> They'll be like, it's this. Um, I guess it's an analogy. Or is it a metaphor? It's
1: in a, one or the other. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I know exactly what you mean.
4: So, So to me, it wasn't useful to go no. into a teacher who a class who realistically that class was behaving because I spoke to someone about this the other day. You can be in a school, so for example, I my brother is my eldest brother, is seven years older than me, and by the time I got to school, I knew which teachers to behave for because he told me he was like you don't mess about with this teacher. Cool. That doesn't mean that they were great at behavior management it meant that there is a historical link between me and the school that i had a heads up not to be a pain yeah my kids do the same so so sometimes teachers may have a accidentally inflated sense of i'm very good at this and i only learned this from going to different schools over periods of time that i'd finish at one school and be like yes i'm i'm like Great at this, and then I go to another, and they're like, "Who the hell are you?" I'm not. And and that was a real humbling experience to be like, "Oh, my reputation preceded me in these previous places, and I've got to start from the beginning and build back up." And and ECTs are seeing the end product a lot of the time, and when really what would probably be useful is if they went and observed someone at the same stage as them, and they figured it out together, or know someone like me go hey you're looking at the swan look at the feet look what the feet are doing the feet are paddling like hell the swan is doing the lesson but the feet is constantly reassessing constantly changing this that's not okay move that you know dynamically risk assessing a lesson every single lesson and that skill only comes with experience and that's okay and you see
1: so with the early career teacher program the instructional coaching where the mentor is going to be taking them through some behavior situations so literally actively walking them through i think is going to be the biggest power because like you with behavior management when i was an nqt literally hundreds like the Ketorian era way before you i mean i could have almost taught you which frightens me (laughs) i had very little i mean it was embarrassing the training that we had but i read sue cowley's book getting the buggers yeah Yeah. and that was where that was my behavior training and then i was sent to observe people in the department and i'll be honest the behavior wasn't great so i almost learned what not to do and from my department and then i went to watch apart from my mentor who was amazing god she was lemon brilliant so i learned from her and um of oh, course cool. she was brilliant but i was itching to try it alongside her and see if i could oh you're doing it that kind of you i do one you do one yeah and um, so the fact that they can now do instructional coaching it's going to be really powerful however what if your mentor's really struggling with behavior this, with a class
4: this is the thing that kind of gets me so i again i was talking to someone uh the other day and i was like The best thing that ever happened to me uh, being a teacher is being a TA first. Oh, I love it when TAs become teachers. Oh, I I think every teacher should be a TA. I totally agree with you. Just that there's no pressure to sit and absorb for months. Sitting like I could tell you things not to do, the things to do, and I entered. So, when you say what was my training in terms of behavior for my career, oh wow, yeah, teaching assistant absolutely to do with my my PGC whatsoever. I didn't learn a stitch to do with behavior, and even since then, everything in my every training course I've been on, everything that I've wanted to do has been because at my performance management. There has been, what would you like to focus on? I've always said behavior and I've always put myself through for training courses, some which have been approved, some which haven't, but I have had the personal interest, my um, piece of work that I had to do for my PGCE. And then even with my SCN award, all to do with behavior, which means that I've read up teen so many journals on so many different things like, you know, it's been a personal personally fueled interest so that means if you're not interested you, unless someone's telling you to do it unless your school which even then it can if your school's maybe doing behavior management it could be that it's a reaction to a poor hmi orsted visit or you know it's not or it's just something they do in september because there's two days of inset that needs to be filled it's not necessarily you know people don't invest in behavior i believe as much as maybe they would definitely invest in their curriculum training i I think that they 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 would very much be like and i i say this from a a it computing point of view like i know it i i can't take teach the same thing more than a year or two because things will change the technologies will change the processes will change but you could probably come across a teacher that's been teaching for six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years and ask them when's the last time they did any sort of behaviour, research, training or anything like that. And they'd be like, it's not at the top of their agenda until it's, until it's at the top of their agenda, if that makes sense. I know,
1: but it's so interesting. It's a problem. It's a problem. No, but it's, but it's so interesting though, the, the reasons why teachers leave workload, behavior in the classroom. yeah um you know and feeling completely like the 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 concept of teaching as a career feeling completely devalued i want to ask you a question around um as an experienced teacher if an experienced teacher comes to you what advice might you give them if they say they're feeling they get no respect from their pupils
4: i think it, it so i i have this thing about investing like everything that you do needs to be an investment. And just because you have taught for, you know, X amount of time, you, as we've kind of just touched upon, you you will have invested in your curriculum knowledge. And I believe that if you feel like you're getting no respect from your class or your pupils, you need to invest in that as well. And, you know, taking that time to, it, it might seem like a lot to take maybe three minutes out of the end of your day to catch up with someone to talk to them. But that small amount of time and that small amount of investment may have a huge change. And that can actually come from something like a lunch duty or a club or something that you know that they might be interested in. So like, um, you know, personally, I've, I've had, I had uh, troubles with a certain group of lads so I made sure my, I always did my duty near them. And at first they thought it's because I was on them, on their case. But as time got on, we, you know, I'd be able to crack a joke with them. Oh, you sprayed all that links, you know, or, you know, um, hear what football, just hear them talk, you know, overhear their conversations and be able to just have a quick, oh yeah, I saw that Forrest didn't do so well at the weekend, blah, blah, blah. Or they did great you know, those little, those little pockets of investment of going, actually, I'm going to take my cup of tea outside and I'm going to stand here and just, you know, pass them the ball back to them. Yes. I'm pretty sure the first few shots that were aiming for me, but (laughs) (laughs) eventually you know, and it just, that that real ability to park your, park your ego and invest in them and just be like, okay, this, this investment is going to be more powerful and more useful if I just take the time to figure, you know, get them on side. I don't, I don't mean like, you know, buying them things or anything like that, that's not okay, but just that sense of, I exist outside of the classroom. And if we can get on side together, you will enjoy my lessons way more and I will enjoy the lessons with you way more. So I think that's the the advice I would give it. It's just, being willing to invest because we are so busy as teachers, like Mm. so busy. And, you know, I totally appreciate it. But sometimes I think we don't think about how we can be clever with our time. Yeah, I agree. If you don't invest in the beginning and I've said this to several people, I talk about this, I I kind of have coined this phrase as September to remember where you put your investment in September, you you get those routines, those rules, that time with that pupil, because you shouldn't still be battling in April. And if you can just really invest your time at the, the beginning of your time with them, then the muscle memory's there, the thought process are there, you're not having to have the same repetitive conversations with them because you've already done it all. So yeah, I think it's just, find a way to invest in them, to let them know that, yes, you do. I have an issue with an expectation of respect anyway, and that's different. I do believe in respect, but I do also believe that respect is a two way street and that could be from maybe growing up in my own culture of, you know, you respect your elders, no matter what. Now, when you're the youngest child, that's really bloody hard. When you're, when you're the youngest and you're like, you're just being a so-and-so because, but you're allowed to be right just because you're older than me. So, you know, I do have, I don't know if it's an issue. I just think that sometimes there should be a level of automatic res- respect, but I think that's a two-way street as well. Like you can't expect someone to have 100% respect for you if you've got none for them at all. And you just expect it as well. So, yeah. I think that's it's- a,
1: We're gonna pause there. Um, So much for us to reflect on. I'm so pleased that we were able to get to the point where we're able to reflect on a September to remember. We haven't yet got to the discussion around women and behaviour management, for which I apologise because that's what we had promoted. But we do build up to that. But theres I hope you, that you'll agree with me that there's so much richness there. Do stay with me for the next few minutes as we wrap up the show. But I just want to take an opportunity to hear from our sponsors.
0: Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more, and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge, and empower your team through the CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course, or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com.
1: So throughout my chat with Nikki, um, she talks about um, somebody who really inspired her through her reading. And Nikki is a voracious reader and reads journals. She reads so much research, which underpins a lot of the, in fact, all of the work that she does with young people and children. And she goes on in the second part of our conversation, she talks a lot about her passion for Bill Rogers, now, my mother-in-law um, was an assistant head teacher for pastoral for a very, very long time. And she, I inherited a lot of her research and her notes. And she talked to me about um, a behavior specialist who inspired her, and that was Bill Rogers and his work if you haven't already come across it please do because it forms the underpinning of so much of what we learn about today so please do if you haven't already look up look um had the opportunity to to look into bill rogers work and for me sue cowley's work was pretty much the only behavior management training that i had was as an nqt or was an early career teacher as you now know it was sue cowley's book getting the buggers to behave that i it was the first Um, sort of educational or or sort of like edgy book that I had and it was so battered. Um, I've still got that book somewhere um, covered in my writing um, pencil only but I carried it everywhere and then I got getting the buggers into languages and so on every single one but I swore by it and it's that opportunity to to go round and see peers. I didn't want to always see the best person because not only did that give me a sense of this sense of sort of imposter syndrome, of like this being the sense of it made me feel like I'm never going to get to that point. Because show me how I can do it, help me work alongside it. And that's why I've got this sense of optimism around the early career framework and working using instructional coaching, that it's a sense of. Working with your mentor as an early career teacher to have it modeled and to work through it without the pressure to be able to um, to actually go through it. And as Nikki says, we do get onto the topic eventually. We do. But I do hope that as listeners, you'll appreciate the richness of what we talk about, because we do talk about a lot of topics. And I will promise you that before we even press record, we did talk about a lot of other things and we cut that out. But you may find that some of the topics we didn't cover would be of interest to you as listeners. And I'll, I'll share some of those on Twitter because you might think they make a good show for you to uh, listen to or you to even be part of yourselves but talking around the early career framework as a visiting fellow the first clinic that will be coming up for our early career teachers and mentors is around behavior because that is the first strand and as part of that behavior it's around routines and instructions and it's around building on the work that our early career teachers will have encountered during their initial teacher training so it's around how do we actually Uh, develop those routines in lessons and what does it look like to clearly develop and deliver instructions as a languages teacher I had to script my instructions until I was confident enough to deliver them in the target language and I'll be honest early career teachers please don't put pressure on yourselves it's October it took me months if not I mean I've I've got a hazy memory because, like I joke about, it, it was the Victorian era. I'm pretty sure we were using slate and chalk, but it took me a considerable amount of time to be in a position where I had the confidence not to have that script in front of me, and still I would have it. I mean, I was using hmm, I was using an overhead projector and acetates when I started teaching, and I would have my scripts printed out in front of me, and when we eventually got PowerPoints. <laughs> I would have my scripts on the PowerPoint in front of me. We all find ways to build our confidence. And one of the things we talk about is we are as teachers, performers. We get onto the stage every single day in our classroom. Our audience ranges between, I don't know, 19, 18 and 32. If we're delivering assemblies, it can be anything over a thousand, but we are performers. And as performers, we are playing a role. And remember, when you step out onto that stage today, you're playing a role. So put on your costume. And as you put on your costume and you adopt that character, consider it as you are there as that character. And that is your battle armor in a sense that you can't take things personally because those pupils don't know you personally, they know the character in front of them. And that has always afforded me an element of protection in terms of behavior management. And we go on to talk about that a little bit more. But remember, you are there as a performer, that is your stage, that is your environment. And Nikki and I do talk about that in a lot more detail. We particularly do talk about what it's like to be on that stage, to be in that environment as a woman. And there are many, many other minority groups that experience pressures and experience similar vulnerabilities. Our discussion does focus on the vulnerabilities of women teachers. And that's something we talk about. So please, before next week's show, if you do have any opinions around that, any questions, DM Nikki or tweet Nikki, tweet me, please do share them because we have some experiences of our own around clothing, around makeup, around advice we've been given as women around how to manage behavior that is specific to women. So if you have heard it, um, advice, if you've been given it, please share it, we'd really like to hear it. And to the listeners that have requested advice and support, we hear you, we will be in touch with you directly today. And Nikki is gonna be available to come onto the call live next week. So there'll be opportunities for more live discussion um, and apologies that we haven't had that opportunity today. And to all our teachers and teaching assistants, and to all our colleagues working in education, I wish you a happy day. I wish you opportunity to take a deep breath. I wish you an opportunity to have some time to reflect and to savor the positive experiences that you have with your pupils and with your colleagues today. Have a fantastic day and huge thanks to my very special guest, Nikki Cunningham-Smith. Thanks to all, bye-bye.